Welcome to Mike and Marty from the Berg. And on this episode, we talk Big Ben. He's back. Two guys for pit transfer. We got Penguins on a hot streak. We got a very special guest, legendary pitcher, Tom Walker. Some of you may know his son, Neil. We got debut for our boy, Ryan Fezco for Davidson. He killed it. He kicked ass. Uh, sad news about Tiger Woods. We get into that. And grinding my gears is back. Woo! Mike, the Golden Boy is coming back. Big Ben, it's official. He's back. Last dance, Mike. Last dance. The ten part doc series. Team of Destiny. Let's go, Steelers. Y'all thought that MJ Netflix documentary was a hit? Wait till you see what Big Ben's got in store for us, baby. I want to see if they win the Super Bowl. I mean, they're a team of destiny. He can finish off a Super Bowl in L.A. Victory. Make it three. I want a five to ten part doc series from 30 for 30. Uncensored, unfiltered. Big Ben's rise and fall and rise again to victory. So what? So all we got to do is work out the contracts, right? Like it's official. Coach wants him back. GM wants him back, right? Uh, uh, the owners want him back the most. The Roonies want him back the most. And um, Colbert accepted it. Kevin, yeah, Kevin Colbert's like, well, I guess that's my boss. I got it. I got to do it. So now Colbert's got to do all the hard work of uh, finagling the money around, which uh, I think it's just going to end up being we just extend him another year. I don't know what else. Or you turn it into signing bonus. So. You turn into signing cut. bonus, Mike. Uh, we save thirteen million dollars if you if you turn half of it in the signing bonus. I just hope he takes that pay cut that he was talking about. That would be best case scenario. Ben's agent said we will. Uh, we're open to all creative situations, so he's not taking a pay cut because that'd be the easy move, and that's definitely not. He's he wants his money. Son of a gun. All right. Well, he's back. I don't care. I'll he's back. Whatever. He's back. Team of destiny. Last ride. It's just like the bus. The bus stops here in Detroit. Big Ben in L.A. This poses another question, though. Is he coming back for another year after this? He There's nothing hinting towards this as his last year yet. That's true. I mean, listen, people are saying Ben's near the end of the rope, comparing him to Eli Manning, uh, which is – Ludicrous. Eli Manning looked awful at the end of his career. Big Ben last year threw for 3,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, and only 10 picks. I mean, three of those picks in the last game. Just as good as like Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, way better than Drew Brees last year. I'm just saying, now we lost to the Browns in the playoffs. He threw a lot of picks. A lot of those were tip balls. We're not going to talk about that game. I think that's a that's a coaching issue that starts with the coaching and then it gets to the players. Um, but uh, I think Big Ben still got a lot in the tank. I mean, he's still putting up stats. And I like how we got a new O coordinator. So I'm all in. And on the worst case scenario side, we have a first round draft pick as our third string. I think I think we're going to be solid. I think we're going to be solid. We're not drafting a quarterback with that pick. If we do, I'll no, 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 no. Um, Dwayne Haskins, he was a first round pick. I'm saying, like, worst of oh. the worst, we have first round pick talent as a third. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins, 
Uh, Dwayne Haskins, did you hear he just uh, signed a sponsorship with uh, Cheerleaders Gentlemen's Club, Mike? Are you serious? No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> Dude, that is I'm some stupid kidding. shit he would have done. That is some stupid stuff he um, do. Uh, him and uh, – you know how Mike Madden does the Cheerleaders Gentlemen's Club, like, sponsorships on his show? Yeah. I think Mark Madden and uh, Dwayne Haskins need to do a podcast together. <laughs> I think that'd be electric over the radio waves. Oh, It'd God. be electric. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited for Ben to be back. He's still got a lot left in the tank. He's just a unit. He's a unit, and uh, I hope the Steelers are a wagon next year. I think as long as they sign some guys, keep some guys around, they'll figure it out. They always figure don't, it out. Don't, don't you count us out yet. We ain't going the nowhere. Pits, they're the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're gonna they're the Steelers. They're gonna they're gonna figure it out. Um, I ain't freaking leaving. I ain't leaving. Yeah, he's not leaving. Just like Leo. Uh he's not leaving. But uh Pittsburgh Penguins Mike on a hot streak. They're hot. They're on a hot streak. They've won five of their last six, five and one, killing it. They play tonight against the Capitals, who we own. We own the Washington Capitals. We own them. They are ours because they can't beat us. They can't. We beat them in overtime the other night. We play them tonight at 7. Uh, and, Mike, the schedule, look it up ahead. Big games. I mean, they're all big games because they're all interconference, but it's against teams that we're close to in the standings. Islanders, Flyers. I mean, those are teams we've got to beat. Those are the next two, three-game series after. Kasperi Kapanen had the shootout goal, I mean, the overtime goal uh, two nights ago. Mike, you said you watched that? I watched it. I watched the third period, and I watched OT, and that was freaking electric. It was electric. Um, oh, I mean, I think they're starting to hit their stride. The power play's looking better. Uh, it's like Gino's gaining a little bit of confidence, which is great to see. Because he needs to be, you know, his old self if we want, you know, a chance to win it all. Crosby still looks great. The defense is getting healthy. Hopefully we get Brian Dumoulin back in the next month or so, and then our defense will be completely healthy. Um, did lose. Uh, do not know currently the status of Jason Zucker, one of our wingers. He got hurt. Didn't look good. It looked like a lower body injury. Don't know the timetable on him yet. Hopefully it's nothing too serious and he'll be back soon because he was playing some great hockey before he got hurt. Um, Mike, I'm just pumped. I am pumped for this hockey team. We got a shot. Hey, this division is anybody's. There's eight teams. There's five teams. Up, there's eight teams in the East. There's five teams up in the air for this. I mean, we're, the top five teams are neck and neck. Yeah, they are. Bruins, Capitals, Islanders, Flyers, and then, of course, your Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, we're all right there. And I think, I, I, I don't know, we're hot. Three-game win streak. Got to get in the top four. Don't step in the way of the train, baby, because we're going to freaking run you right over. Yeah. Let's pass those gosh darn Boston Bruins. Can't stand them. Hate Brad. Brad Marchand makes me so angry. Him and Tom, Tom Wilson, the Capitals, also makes me very angry, Mike. But uh, whose mascot is that? That looks like a freaking troll. The the nose and the oh, the Flyers gritty. Gritty is the no. worst. Oh, then yeah, is he the new one? The orange guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah gritty. gritty. Yeah, the Flyers, dude. He is the ugliest mascot ever. He is like the Philly fanatic took meth <laughs> and then just jumped in a vat of like carrot juice. 
And then moved in a van down by the river. Yeah, he moved in a van down by the river. Yeah, I mean, he looked – he's a bad mascot. He's awful. He he's, is a he's a foreshadowing of their team. Their team's going to go down freaking hill too. They're all going to bust by the They're going to end season. up in a van down by the river. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a great hockey, some great hockey all around in the NHL. A lot of overtimes, a lot of shootouts. It's just been fun. Um, still miss the fans which is tough to see, but uh, I'm pumped for tonight's game. Is the big screen still going on downtown or no? I don't think so. I think it's just for the playoffs. Oh, wait, really? I don't know. Yeah, it's just for the playoffs, Mike. <laughs> we're not in playoffs yet? No, we're not. <laughs> we're not in play- it feels like playoff hockey. That's how it fun it is. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Pens. Uh, they'll win tonight. I, that's my prediction. They're winning tonight against the Caps. And uh, – Mike, we got to move on to some disappointing news on the pit hoops front. Xavier Johnson's transferring, and then we learned that news yesterday. And today, Audis Tony is also transferring. So two members of the big three of Champagny, Tony, and Johnson have transferred. Mike, what's your first thoughts on that? You know, as everyone's first thoughts, it's disappointing. These guys are freaking quitters. They're losers. Um, I hope that's everyone's first thoughts, at least. But... You know, the positive, the optimistic, the glass half full side of me, he wants to think, you know, James Harden left the Rockets. The Rockets became a better team. Duke's best player opted out for the rest of the season. Duke became a better team. Undefeated. They're undefeated without Jalen Johnson. So Xavier Johnson and this Tony dude, they leave. Does Pitt become a better team? Does Pitt make a run? Does Pitt make a run? Is this the start of the Pitt Panthers making a run to get into the tourney? I, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, I see the stars aligning. and you lose one all-star, you're a better team. So what happens when you lose two superstars? You're the best you an all-star team. <laughs> Everyone steps up. Reverse psychology, Marty. It's the best psychology. Addition by subtraction. <laughs> Damn right, Marty. Addition <laughs> by subtraction. Well, what, what's your thoughts? He obviously, they obviously weren't on the same page with Coach uh, Cable, and we are a ride-or-die Coach Cable uh, podcast. He turned this team around completely. Um, we're all on board with Jeff, so we're going to side with Jeff on this one. Um, I wish the best for the two players. But I have to admit, Trey McCowns, he transferred last year. So now Johnson transferred and Tony transferred. I mean, maybe they're just like – they're not – I mean, maybe they're just losing their spots to the younger guys. I don't know. But uh, they just weren't buying what Capel was selling. And uh doesn't really matter because they both only have one year left anyway. So – Bring in the younger guys. Give them some playing time. So, I know Xavier uh, Johnson entered the transfer portal, but uh, Tony, is he just – is he going to the draft or is he – No, is, transfer transfer portal. He's transferring too, okay. Yeah, so this might mean Champagny might be leaving after this. He's probably gone too, just to the draft. Yeah, oh, to the draft. That would be good. We will he, have uh, a young team, very young team. I don't know. Champagny might come back and be the all-star of the team. We'll see. But – um. I mean, Cable's got a good recruiting class coming in, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I think Pitt's – I mean, this is just the beginning. They're going to start hitting the tourney in the next couple of years. Woo! We got a legendary guest on the pod today. One of the hottest arms in the 70s. This guy threw heat back in the day. Father of Pirates fan favorite, Neil Walker. One of the biggest yinzers and stud pitchers there was. Mr. Tom Walker has joined the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Tom. 
Glad to uh, be on the podcast, Michael and Marty. This is going to be fun. We'll have a few things to talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you uh, taking your time out and coming out to talk to us today. All right. I'm glad to do it. Glad to do it. Uh, it's a beautiful day. I'm in actually in uh, Bradenton, Florida with my wife and my daughter and her family. And my wife is married to one of the coaches for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So it's uh, down here enjoying everything. Are you going to be attending some of the um, some of the spring training games here coming up soon? Yeah, they're going to release uh, real soon how they're, uh, how many fans are going to let, let in the ballpark. And that, that ballpark holds about 12,000. Uh, I think the state of Florida allows 25%. So it'll be, it'll, there won't be many people at the ballpark, but they leave tickets for the fans, uh, the families. Uh, so you can go and watch a game if you, if you choose to. Yeah. I'm, I will, I will be going to a game or two. Yeah. That'll be nice. That'll be nice. You're yeah. Getting out of the Pittsburgh weather. Yeah. It's, it's lovely down here today. It's 74, uh, blue sky and no humidity. How do you beat that? <laughs> I don't think you can. Can't beat no. that. Can't beat that. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to start off on the first question of the day. Um, yes, sir. So one of the more fascinating facts about you off the field is that you were the one of the last people to see Roberto Clemente alive. Can you um, can you elaborate on that story? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, 1972, of course, uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, I had been in Puerto Rico for uh, six weeks, I guess, playing winter, what they call winter baseball. And uh, I'd gone down there to, you know, to just get more innings in. And I was playing in a ballpark where the team that Roberto was in, or was involved with was also sharing with our team. My team was the San Juan Senadores and his team was the San Trusi Crabbers. And um, I, he was one of my heroes growing up and getting to see him and play against him and what have you was awesome for me. Anyway, when this there was an earthquake in Nicaragua and uh, he wanted to help out he got himself an airplane, a couple of pilots, and uh, went out to the people of the island of Puerto Rico and asked them for donations. So they began bringing donations to the ballpark we played in and leaving them off. And uh, we have a week. The way they run the program down there, you have off. You don't play games a week between Christmas and New Year's. So that, and that's when this happened. So I told him I'd be glad to help, uh, you know, load trucks, go out to the airport, load planes, whatever he needed me to do. And he appreciated that. So um, on that New Year's Eve, uh, I was out there uh, unloading trucks and they were loading the planes up, a plane up. And uh, it got toward the end of the day and it, the plane should have taken off earlier that day, but it was having mechanical problems. So... It got later in the day, and I told Roberto I'd really like to go and help out and uh, what have you. And he told me, no, can't do it. There's no room for you. So I uh, I can still see him waving goodbye to me, uh, standing on the steps of the airplane. And, uh, of course, I never saw him again. And uh, very few 
saw him after that as well. But he was uh, doing something he loved to do, help other people, and it uh, eventually took his life. And uh, that was the end of Roberto, and I feel very bad about it. I certainly think about that a lot because if I would have been on that plane, uh, it's, I wouldn't be talking to you guys or your your audience, and there would be no uh, no family behind me. That's for sure. Yeah, it's almost a blessing in disguise that the plane was full. I guess in a sad way. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was totally yeah. backed. Probably a little too much on the airplane. That's really not what caused the plane to crash, but it was well packed and uh, there was really no room for me on the plane. Yeah, that's that's a crazy story. And um, I want to talk a little yeah. more about Roberto. When people in Pittsburgh hear the name Roberto Clemente, it's almost like he's a godlike figure because of how much of a legend he was and how especially the younger people today, never really saw him in action and saw him play. Could you shine some light on like what it was like to meet Roberto and what kind of guy he was and kind of what was it like playing against him and like just seeing him in action? Well, Roberto was, of course, an incredible athlete that came, grew up and was raised in Puerto Rico and all of a sudden became this uh, First uh, Puerto Rican player to get into the Hall of Fame, obviously, but not more important than that, he was the uh, the athlete that the whole island referred to, and they had other great athletes, but Roberto was the man. And I, you know, just watching his uh, what, how he went about his business, and how much uh, time he gave away, and money he gave away, and things like this. Uh, loading his plane up to go to Nicaragua. That was just what he loved to do. Because if you think about it, he was so popular in Puerto Rico. He could have run for governor and won hands down. But he knew better than to do that because that was not important for him. He did. He was not a political person at all. So he was fun yeah. to be around. He had a sense of humor. He spoke uh, fairly good English. Not great English, but fairly good English. <laughs> Um, so that, that's, that's, that's awesome. So you said he was your hero growing up too, as well, right? Oh, absolutely. I had a couple, but he was one of them. That's awesome. He and Willie Mays and, uh, man. Yeah, he was, he was an incredible athlete. Yeah, you grew up a, in quite an incredible era of baseball players. I think so. I was blessed to play in, uh, a time when there were so many guys like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Willie Stargell, Hank, you know, and you, you think about Roberto Clemente, uh, oh, you see him play and then all of a sudden you're playing with him or against him. That is special. And uh, there were so many great baseball players when I did get to play and my career was born. I just was really blessed. I really was. All right. Well, uh, this is Mike and Marty from the Berg with special guest Tom Walker. Uh, Mr. Walker, in your minor league days playing for the Dallas Fort Worth Spurs um, in 71, you made you pitched a 15 inning no hitter and threw 193 pitches, making baseball history. What was that like? And do you think you'll ever see anything like that again in the game of baseball? Well, uh, first of all, to answer your last question first. 
uh, you won't. You, there will never be another game <clears throat> a 15 inning starter or goes 15 innings, and there will never be a time when any pitcher throws 193 pitches. That's for sure. Um, what what was going on? I, I was playing double A baseball for uh, uh, Baltimore's team in Dallas Fort Worth called the Spurs. You had it right. And we were playing in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was the Dodgers team. And things just got, things were just right on. It was one of those days in my life where everything fell in place. And uh, every time I threw a sinker or a slider or curveball or changeup, it was right where I wanted it. And uh, There were a couple of incredible plays during that game that saved the no-hitter. But uh, I, I was playing for a man, uh, the manager of the team was Cal Ripken Sr. Uh, oh, wow. A couple of uh, young men that were his sons that were pretty good ball players. Cal Ripken Jr. certainly one of them. But uh, he was the manager, and uh, he he went by gut instincts, not what they do today by metrics, sabermetric. It was always you know he would take me out of the game if they were hitting the ball and I was losing the game. No, I promise you that. But that was not going on. So the game went on and on and on. And they had, if you think about a scoreboard, it only goes to 10 innings. And then they, they had to start over on the scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, top of the 15th, this is amazing, but top of the 15th inning, we're up to bat with two outs, and here he comes <clears throat> walking down the aisle or the dugout telling me, Walker, this is it. You're out of the game. You're, you know, you'll pitch the bottom of the 15th. And, uh, and, but that's going to be the end. And I said, no, Cal, we're going to win this game. <laughs> nope, we're going to win the game. And lo and behold, a guy named Mike Reinbach, uh, let off, or with two outs, walked. He was, went to first base. And then with a 3-2 count on the next guy, his name was Enos Cabell. Uh, he hits a ball off the center field wall. And Reinbach, when a 3-2 count was running, and we scored a run. And the next guy made it out. So I went out there on the hill one more time and uh, got a, a pop-up, a strikeout, and a ground out. And the game was over, and uh, we went about our business. So we went back. That was the last game of the series. <laughs> got on a bus and went to back to Dallas or Arlington, where we actually lived. How many bags of ice were on your arm after that game? I'm not sure. I was counting <laughs> beers, which we ran out of. But uh, Iron City, I hope. Uh, there was no Iron City in Albuquerque, but I don't know what it was. But uh, now that we did ice down a little bit, and if you think back, I mean, there was no cell phones in luckily 1971, so I couldn't communicate with my parents or anybody else that cared about me, and uh, you know. <laughs> It was just one of those nights, went about my business, and uh, uh, the manager, Cal Ripken Sr., said, to him, well, listen, don't get too excited. You're going to start your next start in five days. And I thought, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you can imagine that, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in five days. Well, I went four innings, and I was out of the game. So <laughs> started over. Arm, started counting over. Your arm was still a little sore. I don't believe it. Incredibly, 
had so many thoughts and memories of that game. I got a call, guys, from uh, a guy named Eric Miller. He was uh, he's the sports writer for the Albuquerque Journal. And he called me, and he, this was like one of the anniversaries of the game. He said, I'd like to talk to you about the game. And I said, well, do you remember the game? He says, yeah, I remember it because I was your bad boy. <laughs> you got to be kidding. <laughs> he was bringing up some things as a bad boy. He was probably 12, 13, 14 years old. I don't know. But uh, he brought up some incredible memories for me. And I thought this is really cool that the bat boy is now interviewing me about that game. And uh, he wrote an article, sent me a copy of it. It was called the, the most perfect game ever pitched, which was not true. But for him, it was because he got to see it. But, uh, yeah, that was fun. That's, that was that's a small world. That's awesome. Yeah. That was an awesome story. I mean, a hundred and nine was 193 pitches. 193. I mean, that's, that's what it was. So, I, uh, guys, don't even come close to that today. Like, not even close. Not even half. I don't think. <laughs> no, they uh, they watch pitchers. Uh, you think back to the World Series this past year. The Tampa pitcher had a shutout going, and he, he I think he hit sixty something pitches or something. Not sure. Uh, this guy named Snell, and uh, they took him out of the game. And of course, the Rays, Tampa Bay Rays, went on to lose that game. So, you know that they they go by those sabermetrics very strongly right now, and uh, that's been a big change with baseball and pitchers and and uh, coaching. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But uh, there's almost too many rules today. Yeah, there's a lot going on that uh, have changed, that's for sure. That is for sure. So, uh, let's just put it this way. I'm glad you didn't have sabermetrics in because I'd have never pitched that game. <laughs> <laughs> they would have pulled you in the seventh, probably. Yeah, and uh, never met, uh, you know, how the thing lined up, guys, really. I pitched that game in 1971, the Orioles, who had my contract, they had four 20-game winners in the major leagues that year. So they were backed up with talent, totally, and even down through the minor leagues. So they didn't have room for me on the roster, and they left me off the 40-man roster, which meant that other another team could pick me up, which is what happened with the Montreal Expos. And they sent me to winter ball, and then all of a sudden uh, I pitched a quite a bit down there that winter and it was very successful came back and i only had two weeks off before spring training started back up and i was throwing extremely well in spring training and there was no question that i was going to make the club and they wouldn't return me to baltimore well what happened was i met a gentleman a pitcher that pitched with the expos his name was chip lang he introduced me to his sister, and I ended up marrying her. And then we had four children, and we're still married. We had four children, That's... one of which pretty well known uh, to baseball. His name is Neil Walker. Who's that and, guy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that I, I always say that game changed my life. There's no doubt about it. it changed my life. 
Yeah, that's oh. that's awesome, Tom. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about your time with Montreal, the Expos, Canada team. What was it like playing for them? And kind of what was it like playing your first uh, couple seasons of pro ball up in Canada? Well, you know, when you think, think about Montreal, it's a much colder climate than we have in North America. Um, it's cold there. And when I when I got there, they and was playing there, they did not have uh, a dome, which eventually they did get. But we were playing in a place called Jerry Park, Park Jerry, as they called it, and uh, it was just a put together stadium that could hardly be used as a major league ballpark. But they did, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. The outfield fence, left field to right field corners, was a four-foot-high chain-link fence, just like you'd have <laughs> your backyard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I literally saw guys climb up on top of that fence and stand on top of it and try to catch baseballs. But, uh, <laughs> Bringing a whole new meaning um, to robbing a home run. Yeah, but the fans loved the game there. They really did. Uh, they loved hockey, I think, more than they did baseball. But they were not that they didn't know baseball. They actually had minor league baseball there. Triple uh, A baseball is what they had. And it turned out that Roberto actually played in Montreal as well as many, many other great athletes, great baseball players. It was fun playing there. I loved the people. Uh, they they really took to the, uh, you know, the American ball players. Uh, even though we had a couple of French Canadian Ball players on the team. It was just fun playing there. It was a great time. I, I got to tell you. That's really cool really stuff. Cool. Yeah, you actually led me into my next question. Because, uh, you know, you were you played at Jerry Park Stadium, uh, not a dome. They would build the dome a couple of years later. What was the coldest game you've ever uh, uh, pitched in? And does the cold really affect, you know, like a pitcher's ability to throw the ball? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I really don't think it affects your ability to throw, uh, you know, your velocity or your breaking ball or what have you. But uh, there were some games there that started when, the you know, and they had no limit on what the temperature could be before they would start a game. I guess the only limit was if the umpire who was in control of the game said it's too doggone cold to play baseball, he could stop the game. But I don't ever remember that happening. <laughs> but I do remember games in the high 20s and we were playing. So it got pretty chilly. That's yeah. cold. That it's is gotta cold. It's got to layer up. Yeah. Yeah, and the fans, I remember they'd wear big coats and hats. And every now and then you'd see a gentleman reach into his pocket of his overcoat and pull out a little bottle of something and uh, take a little snort <laughs> help him stay warm so he uh it's a different time back right then idea. yeah he had the right idea stay at the park enjoy the game <laughs> oh. exactly. um that's awesome so, now did you ever get to play in olympic stadium i know they built it in 77 i think did you ever get a chance to play yeah. there i played there in uh 70 Seven. I was traded away from the Expos. Uh, the next city I played in, or, or team I played for, was the Detroit Tigers. Uh, but I eventually went down the road, road, and ended up back in Montreal playing in Olympic Stadium, uh, which was a real treasure 
kind of thing for me. It was fun to go back there and not play at Jerry Park, to be honest. It was it was a lot of fun. Well, uh, this is Mike and Marty from the Berg with a special guest, Tom Walker. Tom, another fun fact about you during your playing days is that your very last pitch was turned into a triple play. Did you know yeah, that? It, that? Did you know that it could potentially be your last pitch? And if so, how yeah, bittersweet no was that moment? No idea that that would potentially be my last pitch. But I, I'll tell you one thing that you did. It, I don't think they wrote in the story. The manager of the Minnesota Twins, who we were playing, was a guy named Gene Mock. Gene Mock was the man who traded me away from Montreal to the Detroit Tigers. So, all of a sudden, you know, it was insane to do what he what he was trying to put on a a triple steal with uh, nobody out. And lo and behold, they hit a rope to the third baseman caught it in the air, one out, stepped on the bag, two outs, threw across the infield to the first baseman, three outs. I don't remember what gesture I probably gave to G-Mock that day, but whatever it was, it probably wasn't very nice. Didn't mean to. <laughs> probably had something to do with a bird. May have been, yeah. <laughs> That's but that was exciting to end your career on triple play and not knowing it was your last pitch you'd ever throw in the major leagues. Yeah, that was uh, that's yeah, that's probably a sudden shock, bitter, bittersweet moment. It was, yeah, it was, no doubt. Now you got to give your third baseman some love on that play. I mean, he got two of those outs for you, and then threw a rope the first to get your third. Yeah, it was incredible that uh, you know uh, it was such a rope. He didn't have anything to do but just catch it, step on the bag, and boom. Uh, across the infield, but I, you know, I did have to give him a little love in there. Yeah, it, uh, quite honestly, he's the guy that got it started and uh, ended up uh, creating a triple play. That was really something. A lot of fun. That's <laughs> awesome. Did uh, did you raise any of your sons to pitch? We obviously know Neil isn't a pitcher now, but did he ever give pitching a shot, or either of his brothers, Matt and Sean? Uh, Neil never really. <sighs> wanted to get on the hill and Matt didn't even though they tried a couple of times and it didn't turn out real well uh, it, it was one of those things where oh, if dad could do it I could do it you know kind of thing <laughs> well he found out it wasn't quite that easy but I did have my second born son Sean I worked with him to become a pitcher and uh, I thought for sure where he was when he left uh, Gibsonia to go play junior college baseball in Florida. I thought he was in a really good place and he got hurt and um, he never, he never was recovered from the injury. And I, I am disappointed that that happened because I think he probably could have gone where he was throwing like 88, 89 in high school. I think he had the chance to be a, a really good pitcher and create more velocity beyond high school. Uh, never happened though. He's a, he's a great athlete, though. Great young man. Yeah. Was that a throwing injury? It was. Yeah. Oh, he did. He hurt some throwing and long toss, believe it or not. And I, I'm a big proponent of long toss. And just one of those days, he was working out uh, in Pittsburgh, and uh, something just snapped. I don't know. It was one of those 
situations that should not have happened but did happen. So, yeah. Yeah, Mike, he throws it just a little bit faster than you in high school. Just a tad. <laughs> just, just a little just bit. Tad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and his ball, his ball sunk so much. He just saw guys off and break bats and everything else. It's really a good good pitcher. Yeah, 89 in high school definitely put him on some lists, I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the Pirates were actually looking at him very closely and had him on the radar screen. Oh, um, wow. Same guy that drafted Neil, his name was John Mercurio, was watching Sean uh, prior to Neil even getting to high school. So I thought that was really, really cool. And I still stay in touch with John Mercurio. So. That's cool. That's cool. Now, uh, Tom, you've lived in Pittsburgh for a while. You raised your family there. What's your favorite part about Pittsburgh? And give us your favorite restaurant to eat in the Berg. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> great memories of Pittsburgh. We're just bringing up and raising my family there and, and loving the city as much as I do. It's, it's a great town. Uh, you know, it's it's got everything big big cities have, but it's a little town. It, you know, we in the area... Uh, consumed by Pittsburgh and this Allegheny County and the surrounding area, you you might come up with uh, two million people, and that that's that's a really positive thing for raising a family. I think it's really good. Um, places that we we uh, frequent quite a bit. I mean, there's several restaurants that we really love. Uh, one is downtown, which we go to quite a bit. Well, not not with COVID this year, but. Uh, the Carlton Restaurant is absolutely one of our favorite restaurants. It's down in the Mellon Bank building, and it's a lot of fun to have great food there. Incredible food. Highly recommended. Yeah. Right. What's I'm the go-to meal? Well, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a shrimp guy. I mean, I love uh, mixing shrimp and crab meat together. That's, that's my favorite meal. Do, do it any way you want to, but that's what get my uh, taste buds going pretty good shrimp and crab meat all, yep. all uh, surf no turf that sounds yeah, fantastic well, I, you know i uh, i like a good steak like everybody else or not most everybody else but um, i just uh, i'm being a floridian or something about s- seafood you know i got into my system and i couldn't get it out so yeah but it is a great place to uh, raise a family and live and uh I've enjoyed it for 46 years, so it's been really cool. Really cool. Gotta love the Berg. Great place. Great place to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right, Marty. Um, So this is Mike and Marty from the Berg with special guest Tom Walker. Tom, how cool was it to see your son Neil play in the Berg and become the hometown kid? The city that you live in. Yeah, him being raised in Pittsburgh and <clears throat> us going to so many pirate games down at Three River Stadium, uh, you know, and him working so hard as, at his trade, his craft, baseball, uh, it was fun to watch his progress. And honestly, I could, watching him, I could tell people, uh, this guy is not your normal baseball player when he was 12 years old. Uh, I saw him do things that he wasn't supposed to be able to do. And so we, I really started putting a lot of effort into him, challenging him, challenging him more than what he should normally be challenged. And I saw him react to it. And, 
you know, by the time he got to high school, he was well ahead of anybody else. It's like a man playing with boys. Um, so as, as the journey went along and he tried out for the USA junior national team and right there was the turning point when he went from maybe a, maybe a 30 round draft pick. He performed so well in that tournament. He became a first round draft pick and lo and behold, uh, the pirates had told him if you're not picked up, we, we, we draft with the 11th pick. If you're not picked up by the 11th round, you're going to become a Pittsburgh pirate. And, uh, I, I, we had a little party going on at our house uh, on that particular day of the draft, and I can't tell you how many people were in our house. A lot, but uh, the the way it was introduced was over the internet. Uh, there was no TV journey or what have you, but over the internet, it it was announced that uh, you know Neil, when the draft for the Pirates came up, number eleven pick Neil Walker, Pittsburgh or Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. The place went nuts, and we were extremely happy that uh, he had been drafted at that level. So, yeah, that was a good journey in Pittsburgh, playing for the Pirates and going down to the stadium down there, PNC Park. And when they got things turned around and, and went to the playoff for three years, that was even more exciting. So, yeah, those were good times, good times. Yeah, those wild card games. Those were... One of my favorites. One of my favorites, and it was probably a lot of people's favorites, being from Pittsburgh. Uh, Tom, I want to talk about you for a second. Your career, Baseball Hall of Fame. Is it still in reach? I think we should get the buzz going. Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, no. I, I, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, back, I don't know. Probably, I don't know how many years ago. It was quite a few. Uh, I look. I've got a picture of it. Uh, the Hall of Fame asked me to, they got in contact with me. And, of course, they, they did so because there, there is a division of the Hall of Fame that is the minor leagues. And they researched uh, this 15-inning no-hitter and they decided I should become part of it. So they called me up there and, and uh, said, could you stop by? We'd like to talk to you. So I went up there and... And uh, <laughs> funny story, they said, uh, Tom, we'd like to induct you into the minor league portion of the Hall of Fame. And I said, wonderful. They said, do you have something you could donate uh, from that 15-inning no-hitter? I said, uh, I think I do, but I think the dog had my glove in the backyard. I'm not <laughs> sure where he put it. <laughs> you should have seen the faces go down on that one. I mean, uh, that was hilarious. So, actually, I had put that glove away, uh, and I, on the back of my uh, rookie baseball card, there's a little story about uh, that particular game and uh, what it meant to baseball. So, I, 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 I did give the glove to the Hall of Fame. It is up there in their archives, and occasionally they bring out stuff uh, on, a, you know, like I said, on occasion. Uh, maybe a bat or a ball or a glove or whatever, socks, shoes, uh, of things uh, that belong to players that did something incredible in the minor leagues. So it was quite fun, quite fun. I have uh, no chance for the Hall of Fame as a major league player. Didn't have the numbers for that. 
But uh, I salute the guys that do have the numbers and they're in the Hall of Fame. Man, it's a great, great thing to be a part of. That's for sure. Hey, I mean, at least you got something in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's still pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, in the back door. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a, a pretty simple question. Just what was your go-to pitch? Was it the sinker? Yeah, it was the sinker. And uh, my second go-to would be the slider. Uh, but after that, I, I, I threw other pitches. But those two pitches, sinker, slider, were my best two pitches. Uh, Velocity-wise, I was somewhere between 91 and 93 on occasion with the sinker. So it was here it comes, hit it if you can. A 93-mile-per-hour uh, sinker, that might have, that would throw some backs out. <laughs> it's sawing some hands off there, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So. Jeez. But it was fun, really fun. Well, that's awesome, uh, Mike. You got any more questions for Tom? Nope, that was my last one. Um, well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on, Mike and Marty. Ton of fun. You can come on whenever you want. We love your stories. Uh, true legend of the game. Uh, and have fun in Bradenton, enjoy the good weather. Yeah, we're loving it down here, and uh, yeah, I, uh. Michael, I should have said you asked me about my favorite restaurant. I should have said Jimmy John's. Huh? <laughs> I gave you a pass. I gave you a pass this one time. Yeah, well, <laughs> we know some people that own a Jimmy John's, and uh, I do. I do go there more than I probably should, but it's my favorite sandwich shop. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so, I, okay. I remember uh, when I was working there over last semester. I would always look up over the cold table, and I would just see you sitting there eating a sandwich. I'd have to take the gloves off and come over and talk to you. Absolutely. But anyway, guys, Marty and Michael, thank you for your time. I enjoyed chatting with you and bringing up some stories of, of the past. It was fun. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you. Woo! Hey, Mike. Now it's time to talk about one of our boys, good friend of the pod, pitcher at Davidson, freshman, Ryan Fezco. He just had his first start uh, last week against NC State. Big, big school, big ACC school. He went five innings, only gave up five hits, two uh, earned runs, and three strikeouts. Hell of a freshman debut for the pitcher, for the young man. The freshman phenom, baby, Ryan Fisco, stepping up to the man. Dude, I'm, for a freshman to get a start in the third game of the season for a team – that's impressive. That's, that's beautiful. That, that's poetry in motion. Fezco is the, the red carpet is laying down for this kid. Yeah. I mean, their first couple games against, uh, and their first game against NC State, they got smoked, like absolutely smoked. And then Fezzy came in and just put in the work to keep them. They lost, in. 13, to, they lost 13 to three. An hour later, second part of the doubleheader, only lose by two. And who do you think that is, Fez? Fez? Our boy Fez kept them in the game. I mean that. I mean five uh, five innings pitched and only three. Uh, what was it? Three earned runs, two earned runs, two runs and two earned runs. Yeah, so that's what like a three point four uh, ERA or something. That's crazy. That's that's all you could ask out of our boy Fez for his first game. Yeah, I mean he's only gonna get better. And I mean, oof, watch out for Davidson in the coming years. They might have an ace on their hands. That I Parker mean, bangs. He knows what he, he's forming these pitchers like clay. Yeah, he's molding them. Yeah, our other good friend, uh, Coach Bangs, he's molding uh, young Ryan Fezco. 
into the ultimate uh, pitcher to take Davidson to the top in the A-10. I mean, these Wildcats going to roll, baby, and I'm here to roll. I'm here for the ride. And just a reminder, the Davidson Wildcats are also my pick in basketball to win the A-10. All in on Davidson. Great school. Uh, Smart kids. But I'm just happy for our man Fezzi. I mean, it's awesome. One of our guys, you know, doing it, making a good name for us. I mean, I'm sure if we asked him if he expected he'd be starting, he would say no. But I really I want to know the real answer. Like, I want to know if this was precedented from him, like over the summer, over the whole offseason. Like, I really I mean, I'm sure part of him had a feeling that I'm Ryan Fezco. I'm going to work up to this. But I mean, to start in the third game of the season. We might need to create a Twitter account. It's Ryan Fesco's ego. If you've ever have you ever seen the Sidney Crosby's ego? Because Sidney Crosby's such a humble guy. Ryan Fesco's just like that. The man is so humble. He's never gonna say that he's the best or he's really good. He's just gonna go out there and get the get you know get it done like Sidney Crosby. We might have to make a Ryan Fesco's uh, ego page and just say what he's really thinking underneath. Um, but look, yeah, at we're happy are, look at all these bums around me. <laughs> Look at all these bums. I'm carrying the team on my back. Look at me. NC State Wolfpack? Get out of town. I, Wolfpack, I'm Wolfpack who? Wolfpack who? But uh, so happy for our guy. And uh, can't wait. We're gonna Every time he pitches, we're going to give you guys the update of what he did. And just He's going to do great things. Great things. He's going to do great things. He's going to do great. On and off. Very good student. Very philanthropic, too. Very. I don't think you use that word right. I don't think that's a word. Flophic? Falafel. Palomalu. Oh, but Mike, let's let's move on to a little more of a grimmer uh, topic. Uh, Tiger Woods. Uh, this is the big news over the week. Was in a horrible car crash. The jaws of life had to be taken out to get him out of the car. Broke his right leg, uh, broke his right foot, compound fracture, the bone sticking out. And uh, Mike, what do you what, what goes through your head after hearing something like that? He's forty five years old. He's an old man. Well, I heard there's a uh, three words jaws of life, and I really thought it was over for him. I it's a miracle that it was only his legs that were hurt. No matter how serious his, the injury is, it's a miracle that it was only his legs. That car was shot. That car was totally like, mangled. It's good. He was definitely wearing a seatbelt. Good for him on that one. Um, um, and, and I was really scared that news was going to come out that he was drunk or some sort of intoxicated, stone cold sober, which makes it almost worse. <laughs> Dude, Tyre Woods has had some bad issues with cars. Him and cars do not mix. They do not mix. But um, I think he had a driver, actually. I think someone was driving him around. Who was he? Um, he was on the way to play golf with. Who was it? He was. He, he was. He was golfing with a celebrity the day before, and then he was on his way to golf. I think it was. Uh, I think Peyton Manning might have been involved. Oh, he was on his way to go golf with Peyton Manning. Something like that. There was. I can't find it. I don't know because I know um, he was at Riviera last week. Um, shout out to Max Homa. He won that at Riviera, but. Um, he looked bad there. He did an interview with Jim Nance. He was hunched over. His eyes were bloodshot. He, they kept asking him, and he come back for the Masters because he just came off his fifth back surgery. He come for the Masters. He's like, man, I hope so. It just 
he looked like a defeated man there. And then this car crash, he's 45, five back surgeries, just broke his leg. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if he can come back from this. Like, I don't think he can come back to the tour. What do you think, Mike? Do you think he can make a comeback? Dude, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's over for him. I mean, he might be, uh, he might try to come back and be a very below average golfer. I don't think he's ever going to be Tiger Woods again. Now, if he does make a comeback, greatest comeback ever, all time. Oh, yeah. Alex Smith. I do think, like, he'll play on the senior tour when he's older, you know, once he's, like, finally fully healthy. But it's tough for a 45-year-old body to heal. It doesn't heal like a 25-year-old. Um, oh, here here it is. Um, when, did this, when did the crash happen? Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, so on Monday, he was with actor David Spade and Dwayne Wade and Jada, Jada Pinkett Smith at Rolling Hills Country Club. And then the next day- yeah, That is was, a foursome right there. That is- a, That is. <laughs> name drops, that is some name drops right there. That is a lot of money in one, in one in two golf carts. Um, and then he was on his way to work with Justin Herbert and Drew Brees in another shoot on Tuesday. And that's when he crashed. And that's, that's awful. That's awful, but um, what do you think Drew really, Brees was thinking? Really hit home to me when I was watching ESPN and the doctor who like gave out the the report on him used a bunch of big words, and like I didn't really understand half of them, and it it, it can never be good when a doctor uses like crazy like terminology to discuss like injuries from a bad car crash. That just means he is messed up. I mean, the muscles, the tendons are damaged severely. It's not just the bone. I mean, there's bone sticking out of his leg. I just wish for a full recovery, and I hope he can at least still play golf, just, you know, maybe with his son, like with his kids, you know? Yeah, those big words from the – Back to tour for him, just being able to walk and play golf. Those big words mean that he's trying to hide something and hope you don't ask any further questions because he knows damn well you're not going to know what they mean. Yeah, Um, so – but like you said, I, I think he's going to want to really try to come back so he can golf with his son because his son's a freaking moose already. Yeah, I just – I hope he can just come back and play golf casually and still, you know, function and be good because, I mean, he's been through a lot. And uh, he's he's the GOAT. He's the GOAT of golf. He's the best to ever do it. And uh, I wish the best of uh, health to him and hope that he has a speedy recovery. Mike, we are bringing it back. Grinding My Gears is back. It was in hibernation for the last couple of weeks to a month. It's back. Stuff really grinded our gears this week. Mike, kick it off for us. And these gears had no oil in them. They were just screaming grinding. Um, yeah, so to start off, uh, so, so my grinding my gears for this week is uh, bat control. Or, or lack of, therefore, bat control. No, 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 Batman. I know. Where's he at? Where's he at? Um, yeah. So I live in a house up at Kent State. There's eight of us in there, and it's it's a pretty old house from the nineteen or eighteen nineties, I believe. But uh, yeah, we just killed our or not killed because you can't kill them. They're they're good for the ecosystem. We just found our seventh bat in three weeks. Seventh bat in three weeks, 21 days, seven bats in our house. And me and this other kid, we share an attic. Um, we share the loft, the third floor loft. And we just, every time like 10 p.m. It's, hits. It's an attic, Mike. It's barely a loft. It's an attic. I can only stand up straight in the middle aisle like an airplane. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but every time after like 10 p.m. hits, I just hear 
like friends in my walls. Like I'm literally sharing a room with eight bats just on the other side of the wall. It's disgusting. Our owners, our property managers, they won't do nothing about it. So I don't know. I'm not a fan right now. There's, I never know when I'm going to wake up and see just a bat hanging over my head. Not a fan. You gotta, you gotta do it like Michael Scott. They had the bat in the office and he trapped it in the trash bag and it was over Meredith's head and that ripped her apart. Wait, actually, you know, uh, you know, Nowski, obviously you guys yeah, probably yeah. all know Nowski too. Brian Baranowski, big time Yenzer. So it's uh one in the morning the other night. We haven't had a bat in like five days. Like we thought everything was cool. And it's like one in the morning. And I hear the kids on the other side of the loft, um, him and his girlfriend shriek. I'm not sure if it was him or his girlfriend, but somebody shrieked. I think it might, think it might've been him. Um, yeah, they shriek and we run downstairs. I got a call like 10 minutes later. He's like, let's go bat hunting. Cause he obviously didn't want to go back up to his room. So I went all, I went to the other side of the house and we call Ryan Baranowski who does not live in the house. He lives like down the street. Call him at 1 30 in the morning. We're like, now see, get over here. We need you to get, we need you to get a bat. We're too scared. <laughs> so Nowski comes over at 1 30 in the morning. He was in bed trying to go to bed. And he comes over and he's like, he smacks it with a golf club three times, pins it under a box. It was a fiasco, dude. It was going everywhere. It was flying in people's hair and shit. <laughs> and uh yeah, we had to buy him a 12 pack of glass bottles because he came over and saved saved a bat for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Well, that was a good, no, that was a very neighborly thing to do. Yes. Uh, Nasky did. So, well, my parties there every week. That's his Yeah, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to move on to my grind and my gears. Mike, so uh, a couple weeks ago, like a week ago, I went on a trip, went up to New York from, uh, we, me and my, some of my buddies drove from uh, Tallahassee, New York, a little ski trip. We don't have a spring break built in because of the COVID. So, we decided to make our own. We're all online classes, so it wasn't a big deal doing schoolwork. So my building, because they're idiots and they built so many uh, rooms, doesn't have enough parking spots for everyone. And I have a car um, and I missed the boat on getting a parking pass. So I can't park in the, in the building lot or the garage that they have. So I have to park on the street like around by the building around the corner. Um, so I parked, you know, on the street, left, came back a week after the trip, feeling good, feeling refreshed, you know, rejuvenated, getting ready to get my schoolwork going. And they put up a no parking sign right where my car is, literally where it was. Now, let's remember this, people. The no parking sign was not there when I left. There was no no parking sign. No thought that I thought there was going to be a no parking sign. Up. And I look at my dashboard, my, my windshield, two parking tickets, two $30 parking tickets. And that's a law for a college kid. The city of Tallahassee gave me two parking tickets. And I looked as like, well, I'm definitely going to fight these. Like, there's no way I'm getting, like, I'm keeping these tickets. I looked at them. They expired literally a day later. They, like it, you have to like respond within three days. It was like the fourth day I got these tickets. So I was upset. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. So I paid the tickets. I got over with that. I wasn't going to deal with the city of Tallahassee. This wasn't going to turn into a, a, a court case, the city of Tallahassee versus Jack Martha. I was not doing that. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to park up in the garage. Our garage door uh, is 
broken because uh, someone ran into it. Some drunk college kid rammed into it. So I could go up and I side the park. And I'm like, I've done it before. My roommate has been parking up there a lot and he doesn't have a pass. So I'm like, I haven't seen the tow truck people in a while. I haven't heard them in the middle of the night. I'll just park there for the night and then come up with a new game plan for tomorrow to where I'm going to park. And I get up. Actually, I get a Mike. I get a call from my father. It's uh, this uh, the next morning. He said, your car alarm, your car alarm went off at 4.30 a.m. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, darn it. They towed me. They towed me. The car alarm went off. I went, my dad got woken up at 4.30. He was just happy. I was okay. He probably thought I was in a ditch or something, or I drove the car off a cliff or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so I got towed. So that morning I had class that morning. So I was like, before class, I had to go over to the, uh, the towing people and get my car, pay my $120 fee. And it's, it was just all, the whole thing grinded my gears. Ended up paying the city of Tallahassee 200 bucks for the tickets, the towing. And now I park about a half mile away in the school parking garage. And I just get to take a nice walk by, I mean, it's, I get a nice walk to get to my car, but it's just, it, that's what grinded my gears, Mike. Just all the tickets and the signs getting put up and the tow. That's just, that's just the worst case scenario of irony right there. You're on vacation. They put up a sign that you can't president that. You can't think about that. That's not so, on the cards. It, it just wasn't right. So, but my car's safe now. I can't have it get towed again or any more tickets or my. And hard body, hard body season is in full effect now. Oh yeah, hard body season is in full effect. Me you gotta walk. Yeah, big walker guy now because I have to walk to my car. Get the pass walker. to the football stadium. Sometimes I see the football players practicing on their field. It's kind of nice. But still, hard body season in full effect, but the tickets and the towing just grinding my gears. Woo! And now for this week's edition of the Happy Birthday Hype Up. Ric Flair. <laughs> First of the name, Richard Morgan Flair. WWE superstar. Alleged sleeper of 10,000 women. Rick Flair on the beat. Woo! That's a Quavo song, if you guys didn't know. And Metro Boomin'. Hey, Mike, it's going to be a great year. 